we have published a study with MIT showing how real-time feedback using neurotechnology greatly mm-hmm. increases uh, academic achievement, engagement, mm-hmm. um, and test scores. So there are ways to create more engaging educational experiences using neurotechnology. We've already published this a couple of years ago, and there is some work being done with a very large education company right now to mm-hmm. implement this in uh, thousands of schools. Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Head Start with me, Elaine Pringle Schwitter, the podcast where we talk to C-level executives, leaders of institutions, and heads of multinationals. What are the current topics? They talk, we listen. Can you imagine getting into a business or a market where you actually spend a hundred billion plus on a piece of paper? Are you kidding me? It was like a frying pan of the head. I got nothing against CFOs. It was not just the job of a lifetime, it was the job of a thousand lifetimes. My guest today is a high-performance individual, and I suspect I'll be saying this about a lot of the guests in this series. He is a neurotech entrepreneur and the leader of a company that was recognized by Time magazine as having one of the top inventions of the year. We continue the new series on Heads Talk today with a conversation about technical brain training tools. But before we get into that, here's a brief message. Euro's private capital forum, Go Real 2023, launched now until the end of March, with on-demand sessions offering attendees the utmost flexibility to access industry-specific content and deals on their terms. It will bring together over 100 speakers from across Europe over a broad agenda covering private equity, venture capital, real estate and private debt. For details, visit www.eurosforum.org. Let's talk podcast with your host, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter. Max Nulon is the president of BrainCo, a company that brings cutting-edge science, engineering, and algorithm development to address real-world challenges. This all started from the Harvard Innovation Lab, and in 2019, BrainCo won Time Magazine's Top 100 Inventions of the Year, raising at the time $6 million dollars. Brainco is known for Focus Calm, which Max will elaborate on later in this discussion. This device has been used by elite athletes, including Olympians and Formula One drivers, as well as the general public for specific reasons. Prior to joining Brainco, Max spent quite a bit of time in clinical research in institutions such as Massachusetts General Hospital, Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center, and the Authentic Leadership Institute. His publications include the 2013 Dimensions of Religiousness and Spirituality as Predictors of Well-Being in Advanced Chronic Health Failure Patients. Pretty long title there. Um, academically, Max has a BA in Cognitive Science and earned his master's degree at Harvard University. There he conducted functional MRI research at some of the best hospitals in the world on the impact of meditation and yoga on the brain as well as the impact on invasive BMI technology on people with diseases such as Parkinson's. I'm eager to have a conversation now. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Max to this new series on Heads Talk. Happy to have you here today. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Okay, I'm going to get right into this episode because we've got a lot to cover in a fairly short time. Um, Let me start with this um, for my listeners. Brinko, please provide... Uh, an introduction to the organization. What do you do, the objectives, et cetera? 
Branko is a brain-computer interface startup, like you mentioned, that had its beginnings in the Harvard Innovation Lab. And we develop all different types of neurotechnology to help people understand themselves better, understand their brains better, and connect what's going on inside our bodies and inside our minds to the world around us. And mm-hmm. that takes the form of uh, products in the education market, in prosthetics, in cognitive training, well-being, et cetera. But the core of it is really about understanding and connecting what's going on in our brains to the world around us. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay, that's succinct. Um, you know what I say, was it charity begins at home, but let's just say solution begins at home. Um, are you using your tools within your organizations with your employees? And if so, what are the results? Yeah, so everyone gets a Focus Calm, which is one of our business units. And Focus Calm as a product is a brain sensing headband and app that mm-hmm. quantifies how relaxed your brain looks. And also through the mobile application, gives you lessons and games and exercises to do to learn how to control your mind better so that you can be more focused and calm. Um, so everyone in Branco gets a focus calm device and, and the application. Uh, and from our research, we've been able to show that after about 20 sessions, so 20 training sessions, think about mm-hmm. it like going to the, the brain gym 20 times. After going to the brain gym about 20 times, we see statistically significant improvements in well being, reductions in anxiety, and reductions in burnout. Mm-hmm. And I assume that's the feedback your employees are giving you. So this is from uh, both the feedback that we've gotten from our employees, but the statistical results are from uh, research studies we've done with customers and different types of organizations. So we've done these studies in uh, companies with nurses, with teachers, uh, with younger people, and the results, uh, professional athletes, and the Mm -hmm. results Mm -hmm. are typically always the same. The more you practice the skill of focus and relaxation, the better you get at it. I would just be interested to know, um, when you've done these sort of focus tests, do they sort of have half using your equipment and half not, and then you sort of see a difference? Is, is Is it something like that? Yeah, so what we typically see is some people, the people who want to understand themselves better, get to know their brain better, and really see the value in training the skill, of course, they're the ones that use it more. Mm -hmm. And over a uh, population, some people cross that magical threshold of 20 sessions. So each session takes about 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. And within a study, there'll be some people that get 20 sessions under their belt and some people who don't. And what we're able to tell is the people who do get that critical mass of practice are the ones who see the biggest benefit. We're going to elaborate on that. As I said, let's look at your organization's focus area, or you call business units in greater detail. You've started to talk about the focus calm. There's the the other one, which is called brain robotics and neuromaker. Back to the focus calm, um, as it's the the well-known one. And so let's start with this one. I mean, I I was reading about it and I was reading about, some of the comments and you yourself called it um, the heart rate monitor for your brain Uh, you know for a layman how does this work so if you think about a heart rate monitor it's passively Mm -hmm. detecting the activity of your heart uh, how fast it's beating and from that we can understand different aspects of your heart in a similar way 
your brain is also very active. It's giving off different electrical signals. And depending on your brain state or even your mindset, there's going to be different electrical activity or brain activity. I would think about it like this. If you're sleeping, it's not hard to imagine that perhaps your mind or your brain activity is a little bit slower compared to if you're awake and highly alert. Your brain cells called your neurons are firing differently when you're doing different things. The headband uh, is very similar to a heart rate monitor in the sense that it's passively detecting instead of the activity of your heart, it's passively detecting the activity of your brain. So right mm -hmm. now your brain's giving off these electrical signals. They make their way to your forehead and there are these gold plated sensors that rest on your forehead, just like you would wear any other headband. And we're detecting the electrical impulses and based on the different features in the signal, we can quantify how at ease someone mind, someone's mind looks, or perhaps how tense or active uh, their mind looks. And we scale this from zero to 100. So a really high score means your brain looks calm and zen. Mm -hmm. A low score means your brain looks very, very active, perhaps even stressed. And so you're seeing the score change on a second by second basis. And then we pair that with different training to help people get better at being focused and calm. So what we what it does it, it some of the things it does for instance it, it reduces stress I assume it um allows an individual to perform better uh, or be less anxious in that sort of sense can some of the the results of using um focus calm be achieved just by listening to music oh certainly that's a, such an interesting uh, point you bring up so the headband itself what is it doing it's just measuring your brain activity. And depending on what you do while you're running the headband, your brain activity is going to be different. So the app will guide you through different lessons and games and exercises to teach you the skills mm -hmm. of focus and calm. And you see your score change as you practice these skills and over time. But you can also go about your day answering your emails, listening to music, playing with your pets and see what happens in your brain activity. And it's quite curious. This is actually one of the more interesting aspects of the product, I think, mm -hmm. is that mm -hmm. people will go and do their own experiments. And so to your point about listening to music, you can figure out what types and kinds of music get your brain into a really active state and mm -hmm. what types and kinds of music get your brain into a calmer state. All right. So and, and I suppose music, listening to music while using this device, it's, it's kind of complementary, isn't it? Absolutely. All right. Interesting. Interesting. OK, the second focus area, um, the business area, brain robotics. What's that all about? The so brain robotics is the prosthetic division of BrainCo, where we use our understanding of these neural impulses, these brain signals, these electrical signals that the body produces. And we've used that expertise to create the easiest prosthetic hand to use that's out there currently. So when we first started this project, we actually uh, had a breakthrough, a, a really major innovation in how we can understand the signals coming from the residual limb of the amputee. So we work with, a, with upper limb amputees right now. Mm -hmm. So you can imagine maybe someone who's lost their arm below their elbow, yeah. the part of their arm that's still there, their residual limb, still gives off electrical signals based on the muscle movements. So we can decode those mm -hmm. muscle signals when they think about pointing their finger or they think about making a fist. And then when we attach the prosthetic arm to their residual limb, the hand will respond. So instead of picking up brain signals, we're picking up the muscle signals from the part of the arm that's still left. 
And based on those signals, they can control their hand. And the innovation or breakthrough we made was giving users the ability to control individual finger movements, which was a, an industry first. And what we've done since then is made the control system even more simple. What we found was some people really like the individual finger control, but for the vast majority of users, ease of use, making it simple for them and their prosthetist, uh, the clinician that they work with, as mm -hmm. easy to use as possible. And so now we're going to be launching this in uh, the United States market in the next couple of months. And so we're really excited to bring the most convenient prosthetic hand out there uh, to the people who need it most. That's interesting. I've always wondered how that worked. But so so thank you for that that um, um, summary of, of brain robotics. I'm probably going to read more about this because I find it quite interesting. The final one in your focus area is Neuromaker. Um, what's that all about? The Neuromaker is really special. Neuromaker takes the core technologies from Branca, so from Focuscom, from Brain Robotics, and turns them into hands-on educational experiences to teach students about our technology and what their careers might look like. So they get to use the same neuroscience technology that mm -hmm. Formula One drivers use, that Olympic athletes use. They get to use a version of our prosthetic hand and learn about how this technology works. And it's all mapped on to the type of learning they need to be doing anyways in the school. So when we work with school districts, uh, we're in several hundred schools across the country right now, some of the biggest school districts in the country, they see us as a way to create the most engaging educational experiences possible because the students get to use real world technology. They're, these aren't mm -hmm. like you know toys or, or little robots that they're building. They're using real industry technology to learn uh, applicable skills. Um, so the Neuromaker brand is the educational business unit of Brinco. Mm, okay, uh, I'm glad you, you mentioned um, the Formula One drivers. I was reading about that. I'd just like you to explain to my listeners, how exactly um, do you at Brainco help um, Formula One drivers or have helped them in the past? So we have a brilliant partnership with this organization called Formula Medicine. Uh, who do incredible work. They are responsible both for the medical care and also the performance of uh, many professional athletes uh, with a specialty on motorsports and F1 drivers. Mm -hmm. And what they have discovered is that by teaching these athletes to be efficient with their mental resources, they can get more done better, higher performance with less workload with less burnout with less effort this mm -hmm. was kind of the, the insight that they had and so they use our products to do the cognitive training with the f1 drivers with uh, all different types of athletes uh, but their core insight uh, is this concept called mental efficiency so for a driver you can imagine going 200 miles per hour it's probably pretty stressful they can only maintain mm -hmm. a certain level of focus for for so long if you are tense but if you can apply the right level of mental effort, given the situation you're in, you're going to be in this optimal performance to energy expenditure state so that you can get the job done with the right amount of effort, with the right amount of mental resources so that you don't burn out. Let's talk about optimal use of the brain itself. It's such a fascinating and yet least known uh, or understood organ of the, the human body. Let's first talk about, I think, is it meditation and yoga? This is your specialist area of yours. Um, what effect on the brain is this during this process? 
So the process of yoga and meditation has a few distinct impacts. Uh, one of the major ones is self-regulation. So self-regulation has a few components mm-hmm. and it's tied, it's tied into the other uh, big benefit of doing these practices, which is self-awareness. So understanding the nuances of being a person, of being a human mm-hmm. and recognizing what's going on inside your system. If you can get really good at this, then you can start to understand yourself better and then you can start to influence or control or um, guide or navigate your internal experience and also the decisions that you make. So by becoming more and more sensitive to your internal world, you start to understand how it works a little bit better. And then you can make more informed decisions. Um, you can make choices that are more aligned with the outcomes that you wish for, that you that you want. Mm-hmm. And all this ties back to that first point I made about self-regulation. If you yeah. can if you can regulate yourself, there's um, one particular study I'm thinking of. Uh, self-regulation was the most important factor for both long-term mental health and physical health, like many years uh, into your life. If you can learn to regulate yourself, there's huge, huge downstream effects. Uh, mm-hmm. So those are the the core components or some of the core components of the benefits that you get from those types of practices. When you say these things, the thing that's going through my head is like, when you say you can regulate yourself, you're almost saying at some point we can sort of, to a degree, self-heal. Yeah, certainly. I mean, from a psychotherapeutic perspective, right, understanding the dynamics, the push and pull of our experiences mm-hmm. might help us unwind them a little bit better, have new appreciation, new perspective, and a mm-hmm. bit more peace. Mm-hmm. So understanding yourself and then uh, understanding how to navigate difficult experiences or even just daily experiences can give mm-hmm. yourself more peace. You can recognize when you start, um, you know, getting off track, so to speak, and yep. bring yourself back on track more quickly. If you never recognize that you're off track, good luck trying to get yourself back, <laughs> you know, back in the groove. Uh-huh. But if you can recognize it and close that loop, oh, nice. okay. get better at closing that loop more quickly, you're going to probably live a more enjoyable life okay i'm gonna sort of a night another side question which i think always fascinates me and it's probably a very good question or a ridiculous one so bear with me on this one <laughs> <laughs> in, 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 in percentage terms because you talked about efficiency and optimal use of this in percentage terms or, or what measurement means you prefer to use how much of the brain is used uh, growing up i've heard and i've heard it so many times it's said that we only ever use 10 percent of our brain so I always wonder what can be achieved with the other 90%. Is this true? What's your, what's your expert view on this? It's kind of a um, misguided statement to mm. say that we only use 10% of our brain. We use uh, all of our brain. Uh, the different aspects of our brain are um, active in all different types of functions and activities. And some areas or functions of the brain are used more in different activities. For example, playing music or speech Uh, tend to activate different areas of the brain, say, compared to uh, while you're sleeping or Mm -hmm. if you are doing like fine motor movement, if you're doing really, you know, precise uh, physical control of your body, different areas of the brain are going to be active. I think that if I was going to try to save that statement and try try to put it to good use, we might say that the human brain and people in general have massive potential, untapped potential, that we don't often access, or we maybe don't even know is there. 
And I think the most grounded way to look at this is through skill development. For example, if I told you that you could be three times as peaceful and calm and happy than you are today, you would go, wow, that's a big difference than, than where I am right now. Mm -hmm. But that's totally possible, especially depending on kind of your starting, your starting conditions. There are ways to get better at certain mental states or certain mental skills that mm -hmm. are going to help you do your job better, be happier, move through life more gracefully and with more ease. And so in that way, there is this massive untapped potential. But I wouldn't say it's accurate to say that we're only using 10% mm -hmm. of our brain. You've heard that phrase before, haven't you? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And uh, uh, Okay. Another sort of side question. Let's, let's talk about this. It's about hypnotherapy and how does that work? How does hypnotherapy and hypnosis work on the brain? Uh, it's funny that you asked that. I actually um, practiced uh, hypnotic techniques casually for a few years um, when I was younger. And so I have a, a light understanding of how it works. So I'll do my best to describe the impact of the brain. Um, when you are falling asleep, and you are starting to dream, maybe you've noticed this state where your thoughts start to turn into dreams and they start to get maybe a bit more wacky and abstract. But as you're falling asleep, these thoughts start to create a mental image, like what your dream will end up being. And so now your thoughts are turning into real experiences, at least in your own mind. If you think about a dream, they're just almost like thoughts, but they are uh, projected into this real reality that you're actually experiencing while you're dreaming. And so there's this liminal or this transition phase from wake to sleep, where your thoughts start to take on more power in terms of the felt experience that you're having as a human in your own brain. Mm -hmm. So in hypnosis, what we're doing is putting people closer to this state, into a state of suggestibility, where thoughts or images start to feel more real than they would if they were wide awake. Similar mm -hmm. to when you're dreaming, your thoughts and images feel very real. So in hypnosis, we're also going into this in-between stage where the thoughts feel more real and people can experience new things or perhaps reinforce certain habits or create certain associations that might be useful for them or just simply use it for more relaxation. But hypnosis is a state of uh, in-between wakefulness and, and, and other brain states typically marked by a higher suggestibility. Thank you for that. I'm going to ask a question, and I'm probably going to remove it from the episode recording. Sure. If I, I, I'm going to always keep premising this, if it's a ridiculous question. <laughs> it's just because of what you said. I had no plans to ask this before, but because of what you said, this is a dream situation that I've been in where... I'm talking to somebody in that I'm in the dream state. I'm talking to someone in that dream state and they will say something like nice jacket or nice dress. And I will say, thank you. But in the dream, I actually can recall when I bought it, what shop, who I spoke to, blah, blah, blah. No, none of this has happened in real life. But in the dream, I recall something that's happened, but it's never happened. Does that make sense? Yes, I, know, I know what you mean. And like, how does that, how does that work? I can actually recall <laughs> something that never happened. Yeah. The what I've noticed in my dreams is quite quickly, the brain will create a backstory to fill in certain gaps so that there's a bit more coherence to what's happening. And I've noticed the brain, my mind does this so quickly. Mm. And I think there's a, there's a couple pieces here. Uh, these are my best guesses. One, when you're asleep, um, you're way less inhibited. 
So your mind is more free flowing, obviously. It can make associations much more quickly. In a split second, it can create a whole backstory. The second thing that I think might be happening is our brain is always looking for patterns and coherent stories. It's trying to make sense of what's going on. Kind of like um, if you've ever seen certain optical illusions, yeah. your brain will like connect two dots together and you'll actually think there's a line going between them. There yeah. isn't, but just your your brain wants to create patterns. And so what could be happening is in this dream, someone will say something and in order for it to make sense, or maybe your brain just kind of in a split second creates this backstory, boom, there's this whole backstory that, that emerges quite quickly. Um, and I think it's probably the brain's want to create coherent stories. And because you're asleep and less inhibited, it can do so very, very quickly. That's my best guess. Well, thank you for that. That always fascinates me because, as you call it, the backstory, it's really complete and comprehensive. It's not just purchasing yeah. the item, but my sister wore that the other day and I, and that will come yeah. back in the memory. And I'm thinking, where the hell did that come from? So that's, yeah, that's absolutely amazing, the brain. I, I, you know, let, let's move on. Let's move on. I could talk sure. about that for ages, as you can gather. But let's move on. Let, let's talk about this sort of what I hear all the time, high performance this and high performance that. What's literally the difference between a low and a high performance brain? What's happening with the both of them? It's the ability to efficiently use your mental resources to get the job done. So the difference between a uh, amateur driver and a professional driver, they both can complete the task, but a professional driver uses way less cognitive resources to get the job done. Mm -hmm. So they have expanded their window or their capacity mm -hmm. uh, to to perform certain tasks. And I think this makes pretty like intuitive sense. If you get really good at something, mm -hmm. you have broader capacity for that, that specific uh, task. Let's say you're an athlete or an endurance athlete. Uh, running a short race is going to be much easier for an elite athlete than an amateur athlete. Of course, they've trained, they've put in the hours, their body has adapted. Uh, perhaps even their brain has adapted to to being efficient at that task. So the, the main difference is you're very, very efficient at the given task. I mm -hmm. think the other difference, and this, this part might be a bit more useful, because of course what I'm saying is practice matters, good practice matters. The other thing that might be more useful or that might also be useful is um, you can adapt quickly to the facts that are <laughs> that you're presented with. Mm. I was about to say that the facts that are changing around you, but as your environment changes, you're able to quickly adapt. If your environment changes and you can't adapt, that strategy or those tactics aren't going to be as effective and they might not work at all. But if you can recognize the changing environment and mm. quickly adapt, then you will also be a much higher performer. Mm. I'm actually still shocked by the speed of the backstory. That's still rattling around in my head. It's fascinating. <laughs> I'm really fascinated by that. Yeah. Now, now, um, I want to talk about bio-neurotech in general. Um, I've been looking forward to this bit of the conversation and the questions that were submitted by listeners to the podcast. Um, I'm looking forward to your response here, or perhaps would I say tentatively look forward to your response. Um, you'll understand what I'm talking about when you hear the questions. Let me get the paper, because I've printed off some of those questions. Um, it's sort of a quick fire round um, question. Sure. Can you sort of first answer, um, once presented with the scenario or the question, that this can be A, either achieved in the near future, B, in the far future, C, it's already here, and this is what's happening, blah, blah, blah. D, I don't know. If you just don't know, you don't know. 
O E, impossible. This cannot be achieved ever. That kind of thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I say first because I, I want you to you to expand on the question or scenario that would be great for the listeners. If you can, if you can't, there's no worries about that. We'll move on to the next one. I think I'm going to give you four scenarios because I don't want you to get too bored with this. Uh, hopefully, <laughs> I will pick out some random questions. That's good. And I'm well aware of the enormous scope of this area in tech. So uh, apart from what we've already discussed or have been discussed, and um, please answer the following. The first one, right. Okay, sorry. The first one, can tech, biotech, sound the alarm for someone who's about to have a stroke they're not in a hospital situation they're sort of in a normal everyday situation long before it actually happens i.e a biotech stroke detection tool or app etc what say you max a and c so there is some work being yeah. done on this already there's some publications right. um but for a product that's really great and easy to use that's going to be rolled out commercially i think that's uh, that's the a part the kind of near term oh, still to be done but the, right. fun the fundamental research point towards the fact that this is possible oh that, well it's exciting that something's being done about it and it's in the near future excellent so listeners are happy with that answer the next one question two um this is well-known illnesses and diseases how close do you think we are to curing them for example they put epilepsy panic attacks burnouts some of them much more close than others. Burnout, with the right behavioral changes, you can very likely cure that now, both for your, your you may need to change your environment, uh, aka, mm -hmm. you know, change relationships, maybe get out of a job, and behavioral changes, you know, certain brain practices, like in mm -hmm. Focus Calm, you can, you can treat burnout. Panic attack um, might be a bit more tricky, though there are ways to get better and better at that. Again, there's plenty of therapies out there, existing psychotherapies out there that can help a lot with this and neurotechnology can support and help validate some of the practices mm -hmm. for people. Mm -hmm. so there, there is a way out of there. Um, and then uh, remind me what the first one was. Um, epilepsy. Epilepsy, uh, a bit trickier. Uh, there is some uh, new concepts and technologies and research going on to disrupt the uh, epileptic activity mm -hmm. before it gets damaging. Mm -hmm. uh, and there may be ways to, to mitigate this, uh, but in terms of what we would call cure, uh, not quite yet. All right, so in the near future, in the far future, A or B? Um, for, the, for panic attacks and for burnout, it's C. There's already treatments here. It just comes mm -hmm. down to how well All you right. can adhere to the treatments for the other one. Uh, we'll say um, near term A. All right. Okay. That's good. Good stuff. Now the third question. Okay. Uh, this is this is a very sci-fi but interesting. If you're a parent, question. Uh, almost like the Matrix. Okay. Let me just read it as it is. Um, will we have tech advancements where children can be educated to a certain level, regardless of their original capabilities? Can such tech knowledge be implanted? So that it doesn't, so it does, sorry, so that it does away with the need for taxing and arduous learning and schooling. Probably a parent that's sick of homework, but um, <laughs> that's that question. But I think it's a bit like, um, as I said, like the matrix. Can you implant yeah. a chip into a head, and you can you can do kung fu, or you can, you, <laughs> you know, you're you're a history major, you know, that kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, I'm going to give you two answers, um, and I think they're both, um, to me, optimistic. So the implantable stuff is far future. 
something where there, there's implantable neurotechnology, but it's for yeah. severe medical conditions. Mm -hmm. um, for something like learning, I think it's it's uh, far future for implantable for education. The, the other optimistic piece um, is we have published a study with MIT showing how real-time feedback using neurotechnology mm -hmm. greatly increases uh, academic achievement, engagement, mm -hmm. um, and test scores. So there are ways to create more engaging educational experiences using neurotechnology. We've already published this a couple of years ago, and there is some work being done with a very large education company right now to mm -hmm. implement this in uh, thousands of schools. Uh, is it possible to have, uh, you know, at the end of this recording, have the link to that so that we can put it in your episode description in case people would like to have a, a read through that? If not, uh, no worries, but no, if absolutely. it is, yeah, 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 that'd be no, great the, uh, if we could the, have that. Yeah, not, not a problem. And the, the implementation into these schools, it's um, it's it's a project that will take time. And, mm -hmm. and as we continue to test it, make a bigger, bigger impact. The stage that it's at right now is about research and figuring out the right way to do this. But the potential to go into thousands of schools is there. Mm -hmm. The thing that is um, concentrated and true is our ability to show that this concept works well. You know what surprised me is that I was expecting you to say impossible. So mm. I, so this is quite okay. It's in the far future, but you're not saying it's impossible, which is interesting. Mm. Okay, please, please do share that link. I'll have a read of it myself as well, and we'll share it in your episode description. Now, the final question. Uh, there's a lot more, but I'm going to end um, the quickfire question on this one. Right, let me read it. Will we get to the stage where surgery will only be performed? by robots, robotics, and AI because of precision and accuracy? I think that means um, will we eventually replace human doctors in the theater? Mm -hmm. um, I think in more and more cases, the robotic surgery technology will be uh, more useful and reliable. There's already surgeries happening right now um, that are doctor plus robot. Uh, we've had that for a while. There are some technologies that are being worked on. And I'm not and I think, I mean, I guess it depends how you classify it, that are uh, more robot than doctor. Mm. And I think we will continue on that trend. As long as it's safe and more reliable and we get better outcomes, um, it's likely going to be the better choice. And I think it's a sliding scale. It's a spectrum. It will take time and mm -hmm. we'll find more and more use cases where it makes sense for our uh, technology to help us do better jobs. So that's in the near future. You, you're saying some of it's already here, but in the near future, the, the sliding scale of the human doctor's involvement and the robotic involvement will change. Yes, yes. What about remote surgery? Yes, um, same answer. There are instances of this already happening. Mm. Um, and I think that as we improve the technology, you are going to want, I would want, the best doctor in the world, or I would want the best outcome. So how do we get the best outcome? It's the mm -hmm. right combination of human and machine. Mm -hmm. And perhaps that human isn't local. And so there may be, yeah. uh, it may be the best option to have it be remote. But again, it's always going to be case by case context. What is the thing we're trying to treat? What technology is available? What doctors are available? Yeah. And kind of yeah. with our the North Star being the best patient outcomes possible. All right. Okay. Interesting. Okay. That was interesting. Thank you for taking part in this sort of quick fire round. Let's end this episode of Vedstore by talking about the future. Uh, what are the plans for BrainCo? You can also elaborate on your own plans if you like as well. Sure. So our mission 
is to unlock the potential of neurotechnology for everyone on the planet. Right now, neurotechnology, although we've brought it into the market in different verticals, education, prosthetics, and mental well-being, there's so much more potential that is locked away in the lab. And so our mission is to increase accessibility and the impact of neurotechnology in positive ways, in ways that matter to people, right? Technology for technology's sake um, is nice, but what matters at the end of the day is helping people. So our mission is to continue to unlock the potential of neurotechnology for every single person on this planet. So um, specifically, we're looking at different medical applications. We're looking at different research platforms. Uh, we're looking mm -hmm. at going deeper into the verticals that we're already in to continue to help more and more people with this technology. All right. Okay. And please, honestly, if you can, do, do you have any concerns, future or current, with the explosion of neurotech or biotech on the market? I think, I think this is true, um, what I'm about to say. All technologies can be used in different ways, for better or for worse. And it's important to be uh, cognizant about how anyone is using any type of technology. Technology uh, is newer, there's going to be more skepticism and more unknowns because it's new. That would be true for any new technology. And so it is part of our jobs to help educate and be accurate with the applications so that they are concentrated on the things that help people the most and are communicated in ways that people can understand and not just do things for the sake of newness, but do them for the sake of helping people. And I think as long as we continue on that path, then we will be able to use these tools like any other technological tool to help people live happier and healthier lives. Hmm. So you're for the philosophy of not doing things because you could, but because you should. Yeah, I think broadly that's true. Okay. Max Nulon, really fascinating conversation indeed. I wish I had more time to sort of tease out more information for you. Perhaps there'll be a part two maybe next year. I'd love that. Yeah. Many thanks for your time and insights. Of course, thank you for having me. Thanks for joining me today on this episode of Heads Talk. Don't forget to subscribe to the show via my website, elainepringle.com forward slash Heads Talk, wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, I'd like to thank our sponsors, guests, and you for helping to make the show possible. Please join me next time where I'll be featuring more executives, C-suite leaders, and heads of multinational. Talk podcast with your host Elaine Pringle Schwitter.